fighting for freedom every day. You as the individual, you have the power. You don't have to join a union. You go in as an entry-level position. You get the experience that you need. And then as you work up, you get better at your job, which means they pay you more. If they don't pay you more, then you go to another company to show what you've learned and what your value is to where you can get more. If they really don't like that, then you can go and start your own damn business because we have a free market, laissez-faire, capitalist society, allegedly, to where you can actually go off and do your own thing. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Holy cow, we finally made it, man. We made it to the end of the election process today. Election day, the greatest day of the entire year. We build ourselves up for this moment, the excitement, the intensity, the anticipation, and we're finally here. It's exhausting. It's frustrating at times, but we are here ready to rock and roll, and that's what we do on this program. Welcome into the Voice of Reason. I am Andy Hoosier, broadcasting live out of the heart of the nation here in Wichita, Kansas, on our flagship radio station. We are all over the country, though, multiple radio stations, TV, live streaming, podcasting, however you watch, listen to the program. We appreciate you. We love you to death. Your millennial general reporting for duty like we do every single day. I went and voted early this morning before I came to the radio studio here in the Wichita, Kansas area. A little voice of reason. I was going to take her with me today, but we were running late, had to drop her off at school, so I just went and did it myself. And it was beautiful. I went in, I did my paper ballot, I scanned it in, everything's all hunky-dory, and was able to make it down. And I have seen election turnouts all over the country. I cannot wait for the polls to close a little bit later this evening. Uh, Here in the local area, I'll be emceeing our regional Republican Party uh, night, uh, I guess election party, if that's what you want to call it, is I'll be getting up there and giving uh, dates throughout updates throughout the evening. I'll also be doing some radio reports for those in the Wichita and Kansas area. So I'm excited, and I hope you are as well. Hopefully you've had a good experience. I want to get some of your thoughts on how the electoral day went throughout, and we'll look at some of the anticipation, some of the predictions coming in a little bit later. Bottom of the hour, we have Andrew uh, at um, uh, Andy Wise. Hey, Adam Wise. I'm sorry. Adam Wise. He is a political strategist. We've had him on the show many times before, but we'll get his thoughts on the breakdowns of some of these major elections across the country. I don't want to waste any time, though, because as we talk about elections, there is a process that I think we need to discuss, and I think it's extremely important to discuss, because it seems to be slipping away, and it seems to be changing and transforming, and I don't know if it's necessarily for the best, and it's not necessarily as pertinent in this election today, but it is important as we go into a presidential race, obviously with the uh, uh, anticipation, I guess, after Trump's speech yesterday. I did listen to Donald Trump's speech last night, by the way, in Ohio campaigning for J.D. Vance, and he essentially made the announcement about an announcement. So next week we could see him run for president again. We're not going to get a break, are we? We're in two years away from the presidential race and we're already hearing candidates announce with potentially Donald Trump being that first one next week. Does that mean that we need to start discussing what the process looks like, especially with the Electoral College? Happy to have on the program. He is a professor of law at the University of Denver, my home state, coming from the Bailey area, Colorado Springs area, traveled around the state of Colorado a lot. I love the state of Colorado. Excited to have on here to talk about this and a heck of a lot more. Dr. Robert Hardaway with us here. Doctor, how are you, my friend? Well, I'm here, and thank you for having me on. I appreciate it. Yeah, I am excited to chat with you. Uh, first off, your take on how are things looking in Colorado? This year I heard that you guys were doing like all mail-in ballots in Colorado. Is that true? Well, no, because I I, I voted in person. Okay. I don't okay. um, I don't use mail ballots. I don't trust the 
the mail, it just causes problems. <laughs> I read in Pennsylvania they have hundreds of thousands of these mail ballots that uh, some of them have defects, they're not the right date, or they don't have the right signature in the right place, and so on. And so you never know who's, uh, you never get a result uh, until far in the future when people, after the fact, then decide whether they're going to count a ballot. It's a, it's a very sad situation. You know, I was, uh, 2016, I heard there was this woman that voted nine times by mail, and they asked her why, and she said, to make sure that one of them gets through and it gets counted. I mean, you know, but that's another story. <laughs> that's another story for another time. You're right. I mean, let's send enough in just to make sure one of them at least has a probability of getting through and getting counted. It is a cause for concern, but you focus a lot on, obviously, the electoral process and the electoral college specifically, which I love and I'm fascinated by discussing the Electoral College, because there seems to be a growing movement nationwide to get rid of it with this national popular vote that's been going on for a while, and it seems to be gaining traction, and where people essentially just want like four states to decide what the presidential nominees are going to be. Well, they're not planning to get rid of the Electoral College. Um, they, they couldn't do that without a constitutional amendment. What they're doing is they're trying to force states, uh, they're trying to get states to enter into a conspiracy where they would bypass the people of their own state and look at what the results are in other states that might have completely different rules for, for voting. And they're using, they're trying to leverage uh, Article 2, which says that legislatures can determine how they're going to cast the um, electoral, uh, their, their electoral votes. Um, but there are so many constitutional problems uh, with that, and and uh, it will never, of course, under the compact clause of the Constitution, they can't do it without the permission of Congress anyway. So I, I, I'm not too concerned about it because it, it, it just can't it, – it wouldn't happen. It's just sort of pie-in-the-sky stuff that people like to talk about. Yeah. But there's no way that this could go through. For one thing, it's premised on an illusion. It's premised on the fact that that uh, state would say, well, we don't care what the, what our people want, but we'll look at other states and um, and we'll see what they do. And then the, and then they say that it would be based on a popular vote. Well, the problem is that under our system, you do not – there is no popular vote for a candidate. Uh, you vote for electors, just like they do in England. You vote for, um, for members of parliament. They go to parliament and they cast their votes just the way our electoral college works. But there's still people today – this is what amazes me is that – and concerns me. There's still people that when they go into the ballot box, they think they're voting for a presidential candidate. They're voting for an elector, just like they vote for members of parliament in England. And there's no uh, half the states don't even require electors to vote for the person they pledge to vote for. But yet there's still people who think they're voting for a presidential candidate, and then they call that a popular vote. And and the 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 media, you know, it it's accentuates this illusion, making people think they're voting for a presidential candidate. And it's sad because they probably learned how the electoral college works back in back in eighth grade but i guess they've forgotten it well i you're right i mean we don't teach this and this is the very scary part about it because i mean first off we hear people talk about democracies being lost when we don't have a democracy we have a constitutional republic and with the national popular vote that is their mentality i remember learning about the electoral college in eighth grade and in ninth grade uh, but they didn't even teach it that way either. They didn't even say that when you vote, you're voting for an electorate to nominate this through the electoral college process. They don't talk about that. They just say that there's an X amount of people and we don't really know who they are and that they cast the votes based on the, the, the vote in the state or in these different districts. And then they cast their vote for this candidates and whatever. And they give us the brief definition, but they don't break down the importance. And that's my next question is why? 
don't we hone in on this to let people know, hey, when you vote for the president, you're not really voting for a president. You're voting in kind of a roundabout way for a proper representation. Yeah, they're talking about this NPVIC, the National So-Called Popular Vote. It's based on the illusion that that there is such a thing as a popular vote. There isn't. Um, And it's a good thing it's it's not because that's the system they have in Russia and in France. They have a so-called popular vote election. And they get five or six uh, parties, like in uh, the 2017 election in France. They were following the Russian system, um, and they had uh, the two major parties each got 19 percent. Uh, an extreme right winger got uh, 22 percent, and a and a and a outlier called Macron got 24. So then they have a so-called runoff between the two top vote getters, with the result that the candidate who ended up with 24 percent in the first round um, won the election, even though his opposed by 65% of the people. And uh, this is what passes. The the people in France were so outraged by this Russian system, which is the system that these so-called people who want to undermine the Constitution and the Electoral College, that's the system they want. They want somebody elected who's opposed by two-thirds of the electorate. And the Electoral College makes sure that that does not happen. Um, So it's it's sad. Uh, People don't understand. People say, well, that, that wouldn't happen in this country because we have a two-party system. But they don't understand that the reason we have a two-party system is because we have an electoral college. I mean, it's not a coincidence that the only country in the world, the only democracy in the world that has a two-party system is the is the country that has the electoral college. And that's because people uh, before the election make accommodation. For example, the 1930s, the 20, if they would have had a popular vote election, the socialists were polling 24%. And if we'd had an election, we would have had somebody elected with probably less than 30 percent or 25 percent. But as, but on the electoral college, uh, you can't get a single pop, uh, a plural, you can't get a single electoral vote unless you get a plurality. And so the, all the socialists, by the time that the uh, time came for the election, they made an accommodation with the Democratic Party, and so it coalesced before the election. Look at all these uh, these uh, countries that don't have an electoral college. They try to to hobble together. Um, these various, you know, agreements um, b- between the parties afterwards, and they're very unstable. In Italy, they have something like 16 governments in 14 years. Yeah. So it's the stability of our of our electoral college and the way it's been so successful that has made us the envy of the world. And it's just like Americans to dismantle the one thing that has given us the prosperity that we enjoy, the stability. That's what we do. We like to shoot ourselves in the foot quite a bit. We're talking with Dr. Robert Hardaway, a professor of law at the University of Denver. Let's uh, shift gears a little bit, and I've pondered this, I've talked about it on the air for a long time, haven't really gained any traction or know enough to try and pursue anything of this, but now we see, just as we started the Electoral College back in the day because of the diversity with different states and their populations and making sure that we don't have a mob rule with a 51% majority, uh, states are becoming well, just as diverse and just as populated. Should we look at an Electoral College process at a statewide level moving forward? Well, the, the, the reason that we have the United States of America is because in the last days of the Constitutional Convention, Benjamin Franklin came up with a compromise because the, um, uh, we were about to break up into at least three or four countries. The, the small states wanted to form their own country because they said they're not going to go into any country where they don't have an equal vote. Um, and, and the large states said, no, it should be based on population. And Washington, pretty much George Washington despaired and said, well, we're gonna, I guess we're going to break up into four or five different countries. The English were 
were, were elated by this. And then at the last minute, it was Benjamin Franklin who said two things. Let's have a compromise. And it had two prongs to it. One is that we're going to have a Senate that's based not on population, but every state has equal representation. And the Electoral College is based on that. As a matter of fact, under Article 5, that's the only provision in the entire Constitution that can't be amended because the small states said, we insist on equal representation, and the Electoral College is based on that equal representation in the Senate. You get two electoral votes uh, regardless. And some people say, well, maybe it would have been better. Let, let the South go and have their slaves and so forth. And the drafters of the Constitution realized that's not, if we want a united country, we've got to have an Electoral College. And it was, I think, Benjamin Franklin performed his greatest function when he created the Grand Compromise that included equal representation in the Senate upon which the Electoral College is based. And that's why John F. Kennedy, back back in uh, in the in the late fifties, when the Republicans were trying to get rid of the Electoral College because they thought it was um, uh, the, to the advantage of Democrats, and I think they have a point there actually, uh, because New York and California, the Democrats start off with um, almost a hundred electoral votes right off the right out of the gate without even uh, without without even campaigning. Yeah. But uh, it was John F. Kennedy who actually said, and, and this is a uh, this is a direct quote. He said, "If we had a Russian style." election, it would greatly increase the likelihood of electing somebody who's elected by a vast a, a, a minority of the people. This is what happens in Russia. Sure. This is what happens in France. I tell you, doctor, it would break doctor, down. we gotta, we got to take a hard break here real quick. Can you stick over one more segment with us? Of course, oh, of course. Perfect. I appreciate it. we got to take a hard break here. It's Dr. Robert Hardaway, University of Denver, professor of law. We'll talk some more about the Electoral College, the history of it moving forward, and can we bring an electoral process to a statewide level moving forward? How do we reform some of this as we see some of these issues? We'll do that when we come back here. It's election day. It's the voice of reason. Stay right here. The voice of reason with Andy Hoosier. Bring some reason into your day. This is the Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Oh, you know, reason, common sense, rationale, that's what we try to promote here on this program. It's election day. You're excited. I'm excited. You scream, I scream. We all scream for ice cream. It's what we do. Or we scream for a big red wave. I don't know. <laughs> One or the other. I have some clips that will play for you, some audio that we'll do here in just a little bit on the program. Joe Biden doing his last desperate attempt on how good the economy is doing under him. I mean, if, if you want to... It is totally absurd. I know. I know. I'm just throwing it out there. So we'll get to that here in just a little bit. Right now, we got a few minutes left with the... I'm so glad we had this conversation as well. I love this conversation. I love this topic. And it's so important for us to understand the process. Just thinking that it's going to be just whim, popular vote. Oh, why don't we just count the popular vote? What's going on? There are so many people that believe this. And it's very scary as we talk with Dr. Robert Hardaway, professor of law at the University of Denver, as we talk about the Electoral College. And let's talk... You mentioned the history of it and how important it was, and it was part of this compromise to keep the union together and to keep us moving forward. Now we're looking at these reformations. The people don't understand what's really going on when they cast their vote for the president of the United States. How do we fix this? Is there something we can do educational-wise to let people understand? And like I said, can we bring it to the state level? Because nowadays we see... Such diversity at the state level between heavily populated cities, rural, I mean, the perfect example is here in Kansas, we have just over 99 counties, and our current Democrat governor won the last governor's race with seven out of the entire state, seven counties. 
And to me, that well, shows an issue. And I think we need to have representation at the state level. Well, you know, you, you bring up an excellent point, and if you can believe it, the the uh, New York Times made that point in in a in a in one of their editorials when they supported the Electoral College. Now, once Trump got elected, uh, their number of people said there must be something wrong with the Electoral College because Trump got elected. But in fact, the the New York Times said that the the nation's founders sought to create various ways to create checks and balances, and first and foremost was a, a compact among states, large and small, designed to ensure that one state or region did not dominate the others. Uh, otherwise, uh, the small states uh, wouldn't get any uh, representation at all. I mean, there are still people who think that um, California should should have like 60, uh, 60 senators and Wyoming would get none. And um, and then that would be the basis for, for, for an uh, an election, and there are still people who think that the that the United States should be ruled by little enclaves on the coasts. Yeah. Um, but but the whole idea of the electoral college was to make sure that um, there was representation across the whole country, not just in little enclaves. Yeah. And the and the New York Times uh, said that, um, and by offering the promise that even the smallest states could could tip the balance, it made it impossible to ignore them. Otherwise, um, you know, um, people would only would would only campaign in New York and Los Angeles because that's where the votes are. Exactly. Uh, they once asked a bank robber, and I said, "Well, why do why do you rob banks?" And he said, "Because that's where the money is." Well, <laughs> why? I mean, why would uh, why, if we didn't have an electoral college, they just they would just campaign in the populated areas. The whole hinterland would be totally ignored. Um, another point about the this MPVIC, which you which you mentioned, the national popular vote. Um, the, some people don't understand that in some states they they vote for electors who are not even pledged to a to a particular candidate. Uh, in 1960 election, several states, for example, just didn't hit on pledged electors. Now, how do you count popular votes uh, that are cast for an elector who is not pledged to, to to vote for any particular candidate. There's no way. And when you ask these MPVIC people that love the Russian system, they think a popular vote system in which someone gets elected with uh, opposed by two-thirds of the electorate is just such a wonderful system. They think the Russian system is great, and they want to adopt it through this MPVIC. But how do, you count, how do you count popular votes for candidate for um, electors who are chosen or aren't, who aren't um, who aren't pledged to any candidate? It's a great uh, question. They, they can't answer it. You're right. They can't answer it. They don't have the they don't have the understanding of the system. We're out of time, my friend, Doctor. It's Doctor Robert Hardaway. We got to get you back on the program. I appreciate the time very much, my friend. Okay, call anytime. Hey, absolutely. We're going to get him back on the program when we come back. Adam Wise, political strategist. We're going to talk about some election stuff right around the corner here on the Voice of Reason. Stay the here. Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. When Reason Meets Radio, you're listening to The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Holy cow, I'm telling you, we need about four hours on this program. Just throwing it out there. We need way more time on this show. Not enough time to get the stuff done. We need to get done. It is election day. Get out and vote. Hopefully you have voted. I am excited to see what numbers roll in here all over the country. We have our eyes, obviously, on a lot of elections for the governor's races, Senate races, House races. Can we keep... Some of those seats down in Texas, like Myra Flores, who rocked it in that 34th district of Texas. Can we flip a couple of those Senate seats and get the majority as the polls 
We've been talking about it the last week or so. All of a sudden, they flip from, oh, Democrats obviously are going to hold and maintain the Senate. Obviously. To now, well, there's actually like a 70% chance of Republicans taking it. Our bad. Historically, as well, it's kind of looking at the history. In 22 midterm elections between 1934 and 2018, the president's party has averaged a loss of 28 House seats and four Senate seats every election. Every time. On average, the party that's in power that has the presidency for a midterm loses up to 28, on average, 28 House seats and four Senate seats. If that is the case tonight, we which is about the 30 that we're expecting for the House of Representatives, we're looking at three to four seats in the Senate. That is a good win for us tonight. And according to the history, there are only, let's see, the party's presidents gained seats in the House only three times between 1934 and 2018. Three times did they gain seats in the House. And gain seats in the Senate only six times in that entire span as well. Joe Biden out there kind of doing his little last little rally as well, talking about how bad gas prices were before he took office. The most common price of gas in America is $3.39, down from over $5 when I took office. <laughs> I mean, all right. Let's go into the Biden basement. Talk about this and more. Our political strategists have to have on the program as we get into our What's Trending of the Day. What's Trending Today. Excited to have back on the program with us here, Mr. Adam Wise. Adam, how are you, my friend? How are you? Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's good to have you back on the show. Where are you at today? I mean, you're getting ready for election night. It's going to be a big one, but where are you watching everything? I'm standing in front of uh, Cipriani for Lee Zeldin's election night headquarters, which, if anybody doesn't know New York, it's one of the massive catering hall, very famous one. In Midtown, right across from Grand Central, so he he put a lot into it for supporters. He has eighteen hundred people coming, and thousands of people tried to RSVP, but it's the venue's block sold out. So they're expecting a big night here in New York. That is amazing. New York's not a usual place where we usually hear about a momentum from Republicans. Are you optimistic about the state there? Yeah, I think I think we're in a good place in New York for the Zeldin campaign. There's so much, you know. There's been so much crime, so much vagrancy, and so much uh, depletion of what once was such a great city that people are sick of it. And mom's sick of it. You know, parents are sick of it. And they're sick of everything from the woke stuff being taught to the schools, to the crime, to the vandalism, to the mentally on the streets. Because if you don't have safe streets, you don't have a functioning society. And we don't have it here. People can't. One glorious thing about New York City, it's a living here when you move here. It's like, wow, I can walk 10 blocks at night, and it's wonderful. I can leave my apartment and walk to a local restaurant or theater. No more. People are afraid. You can't even walk a block without being sabotaged by some mentally ill person. And the Democrats are so bad and so woke, they can't even admit the problem. Wow. Well, it's sad when New York City, I mean, and New York City's tough. They go through a lot of stuff out there in New York, obviously. I've never been. I've always wanted to go. But right now, I would not go because even the tough ones in New York, like you said, don't even want to go out their doors in the middle of the night because they're concerned about what's going to happen. Eventually, the pendulum has to swing back and the tide's going to turn. And I think this could be at least the beginning of that movement there. Let's bounce around some of the other parts of the country, and I want to get your thoughts on these as well. Obviously, there's some really heated races uh, with uh, down in Georgia with Herschel Walker, with uh, with Brian Kemp. Uh, in the state of Georgia, do you see us overall taking the Senate, and is that going to be one that we could flip this uh, tonight? I think we're going to take the Senate. I think Herschel made it over the hump. And I think, you know, telling your audience here, one thing that 
each of these candidates learned, I just wrote an op-ed on each of these candidates learned is not to quiver to the media, not to give in, because the media went after every one of these candidates, Herschel Walker. They found ex-girlfriend that said they had babies with him that he doesn't even know, right? He says they would never do that to a Democrat, go, go so deep into your personal life. But what they did, didn't do, the typical playbook that the Republicans used to do, and they were like a Mitt Romney, is apologize, whimper. They fought back. They used kind of the Trump playbook. And the and they went up because the people supported them. And see, they fought back. As I said, you know these hit jobs come, and they came for every one of the candidates across the country. And they were all beloved, right? Dr. Oz was a beloved surgeon and a national celebrity yeah. until he decided to run as a Republican. Herschel Walker, one of the greatest football players of all time. African-American, never tainted by the media until it decides, let me run for a Senate seat. So I think he's, Herschel's in a good place. Uh, Oz is in a good place. It's because they, they, uh, Democrats put up such a terrible candidate. That's really helped Oz, too. Yeah, that is very true. Now, Dr. Oz kind of stopped campaigning for a while there as well. After the after the primary, he just kind of stopped, and he lost a lot of traction and gained in, in momentum in the polls, and then he had to kind of work his way back up there. Luckily, I think the debate did expose Fetterman for being the crazy guy that he is, but I am optimistic there. I just wish that Dr. Oz would have maybe taken it a little bit more seriously throughout the electoral process. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, right after the primary, he went like absentee for a little while. Yeah, and then he put, and then he went into overdrive and, and really uh, spearheaded and went around the state heavy. So I think he made up for it. Where uh, Fetterman was sitting in his basement, you know, I can't uh, spit out a sentence or to it. So I think uh, another one, Oz is in a good place. I think Pennsylvania will go red, and uh, you know, yeah. it's just too. It's just been too bad in Pennsylvania. Too many. Too many uh, hardships that people are going through, from oil to jobs to the economy. Yeah, amen to that. Uh, looking at some of the governor's races, we had the potential of Kerry Lake that's made national attention down in Arizona, and we have the race in Michigan where we could potentially flip that one as well. Are you optimistic about either of those? These are two media stars. Uh, Tudor Dixon was a uh, an anchor for Real America's Voice News, which I'm going to be I'm, I'm covering as a correspondent here in New York tonight. And she, so she has that really gift of the media. And what a surprise she's been, right? She's right on the cusp of becoming the new governor. Nobody knew who she was yeah. four or five months ago. Carrie Lake was a local anchor for 20 something years and saw what, how repugnant they, they were during COVID and decided to get a feet in the politics. Never was a Republican, but she's the rising star. This Carrie is really, Carrie Lake has really taken off. And yeah. again, it's the lack and it's, and there's such, they're good candidates, but the lack of Democrats that they're selecting such bad candidates because <laughs> the party is so far left that you don't even know what they stand for anymore. They can't even stand for the basic, simple things that we all used to stand for. Standing here in New York City back in the 80s and 90s, if you were a Democrat, Governor Dinkins was a Democrat mayor, Ed Koch, you know, there were difference between Republican Democrats socially, economically, some were for tax cuts, some were for, you know, but Pretty much law and order. Everybody was. You arrested mentally ill person in the street. You arrest a criminal. Yeah. The Democrats of today can't even call criminals criminals. 
No, they embrace them. They embrace them. They need to be reformed, and they're part of the party because they're just misunderstood, and we just need to parade them around, uh, which is what the party's all about right now, and it's unfortunate. We'll talk with Adam Wise, political strategist. Uh, You mentioned some of these rising stars in the Republican Party. That's been the big question of the Democrats. There is no face that is representing them. The old guard's trying to hold on with Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi and the hacks over there on the other side, but they're not allowing new faces to come in right now. The AOCs are the only ones that are coming out, and they're looking dumber than what the original ones are. You look at these bright stars that are coming out. Carrie Lake, Tudor Dixon, Lee Zeldins, Army Colonel here in New York, 40 years old, great family. Then they come out, and who do they bring out to try to save uh, Governor Hochul here? Bill Clinton. <laughs> Bill Clinton. Hillary Clinton. Nancy Pelosi. I mean, this is just, I don't know one star, one young, youthful Democrat that could be a rising star of Joe Biden where which we all most like. He's no way he's going to run again. So I don't know where their bench is. Yeah. It's hidden. Well, it was supposed again, to be Stacey been, Abrams and Beto O'Rourke, but you can see how well that's turning out. You know, there's been such a, hopefully tonight, there'll be such a wake-up call or such a drudging to the Democratic Party that maybe we can knock some sense in them because they really don't have, they just have no sense anymore. Nothing they say makes any sense. Yeah, that is unfortunate. Your Your prediction, I watched Trump's, uh, speech last night in Ohio campaigning for J.D. Vance, which is another one I think that we can do, taken away from Tim Ryan, uh, and flip that one. But uh, he had hinted about that he announced the fact that he's doing an announcement next week. Is he running for president again, do you think? Yes. I mean, it's, the guy looks like he's still in great shape. He's still running around like he's four or five years ago. He still wants, he's still, he's still getting out of what they took it away. It still feels like they took it away from him. Yeah. He still has a lot to accomplish. He still has the infrastructure. He still has the money, and he still win the primary. Why should he not run again? <laughs> I think he's. I think he's going to make another run for it. Nobody has the energy, but you know when he runs at seventy five, seventy six, they'll start questioning age. When Biden ran in his basement at seventy six, seventy seven, <laughs> there was not a whimper of it. It's like when McCain ran when he was sixty eight. We hold stories about is he too old? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, how the times have changed. Last question before we let you go. Yeah, we got just about 40 seconds left here to kind of wrap it up. But last question, uh, are we going to win both chambers and what could the next two years look like if we do so? I think we're going to win both chambers tonight. And I think we'll be a a lot of uh, dreadlock, uh, uh, deadlock legislation. Uh, because again, Biden is so weak that I don't know. I don't know if he'll be able to moderate his policies. So they'll have to play ball because we control the Congress controls the purse strings, right? Yeah. You know, so there have to be some ways to work this stuff out, but we'll have be a lot of theater on both sides. So we'll see how it uh, plays out the next two years when the public is controlled. But at least we can calm some of this craziness that's going down for the white House. 87,000 agents. Yeah, you know, slow slow the roll down and watch the show. Hopefully they, don't, hopefully they can pull the funding from 87,000 IRA agents. Boy, wouldn't that be nice. Adam Wise, political yeah. strategist. We appreciate the time, my friend. Have fun out there tonight. We'll talk soon. Thanks, Andy. Hey, appreciate it very much. All right, we'll take one more break, wrap up the show today for a Election Tuesday. Stay here. The Voice of Reason with Andy Hoosier. Fighting for freedom every day. The Voice of Reason 
with Andy Hoosier. All right, last few minutes of the program here. Thanks again to Adam Weiss coming on the show, political strategist, talking about his thoughts on the election. He thinks we're going to take over the Senate, take over the House of Representatives. I concur. I agree. Historically, we've done very well in midterm elections. It's whether we can maintain that. Now, here's the thing, and here's the big kicker. Republican Party, yeah, we could win tonight. We're very good at playing as the underdogs, as doing that grassroots campaigning, looking how bad the other things are on the other side. It's whether we're going to lead and do things moving forward. That is my one concern. If Donald Trump does announce his run for presidency next week, which it sounds like he's going to, wait until Republicans get in there. Many of them Republican-endorsed MAGA, quote-unquote, evil, radical MAGA, ultra-MAGA candidates. And then announce his run for presidency and say, hey, they're going to set the stage. They're going to lay out the groundwork. They're going to pave the road for me to walk back in there and get some stuff done. We need to work together to make this happen. Sounds great. It's just whether Republicans can actually do that. And I am optimistic about it. We have a great team moving in there. Herschel Walker would be fantastic. Dr. Oz will be okay. we got to kind of, you know, pull on the leash a little bit and make him do what he needs to do. But I think we'll be all right there. Uh, I think that we are going to win with J.D. Vance in Ohio. I am optimistic about that state. I am optimistic about the state of Arizona, both with the Senate race and with the governor's race in Cary Lake. If we can flip the governor's race in, in Michigan, can you believe how bad the Democrats are going to lose their minds? Not to mention, as we talked about yesterday, even many of the Democrat political pollsters and strategists are saying, oh, we're just writing off multiple state uh, representative districts in Texas because, well, we don't have Hispanic campaign managers or messaging to them. So they're obviously going to go to the Republican side. And to me, that was the biggest piece that I've seen in this entire electoral process in the last at least couple weeks that shook me to the core. Democrats are writing off districts and counties in Texas that are 75% plus Hispanic population. They're writing them off and just expecting Republicans to win there because they didn't do a good enough job campaigning to the Hispanic vote down in Texas. That is a minority base that has been the hype, the base of the Democrat Party that they are losing because people have had enough they're done, they're over it, and this is what's driving people to the polls. The fact that we are seeing gas prices impact people's pocketbooks so much right now, would that change how you're considering voting for the next election, whether it's congressional later this year or presidential a couple of years down the road? Definitely, definitely. I just know that one administration had cheaper gas, and this administration has more expensive gas. <laughs> that was an MSNBC report. And, well, uh, 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 back to you in the studio. We got nothing else down here. These guys are desperate, and it's showing, and I think it's going to be good. The problem is, though, is that what are we going to see with shenanigans that are being played? We went into Election Day today with over 70 lawsuits that were filed by the Republican National Committee that, with concerns about voter fraud or voter transparency, that is the big concern today. Now, according to Phoenix, Arizona, Maricopa County, the same county that hit issues in the 2020 presidential election, apparently now we're seeing 20% of their polling locations are having problems with their voting machines. Dude, you had one job. One job. And you couldn't pull it off. With 20% of polling sites experiencing issues with tabulation machines across the valley hours into Election Day, that according to Fox 10 out of Phoenix, Arizona, while the specific uh, while the specific addresses and number of locations having issue have not been confirmed, the Maricopa County Records Office says that technicians have been called to fix precinct tabulator machines that are not working. That was earlier today. I don't know if that's still an issue, but dude, you had one job and you had two years to fix these issues. 
if this is not a sign for Republicans to get on board and for people to vote Republican in the state of Arizona to get Carrie Lake into that governor's race, to get an attorney general that's solid conservative, to get state legislatures that are Republican in there and start fixing these issues and say, why the hell is an election office in an area having so many issues when you have all the resources that you need, you have all the uh, technicians and the money that you need? Why are you having so many problems? If that's not a sign of failed Democrat policies and failed Democrat legislation in a state, then I don't know what else is. I don't know what else is. Now, Andy, they're already Republican to a degree. They're kind of the wishy-washy ones. Remember, I love you, Arizona. Not picking on you right now, man. But you are the ones that brought us John McCain and Jeff Flake. I'm just throwing that out there. So Maricopa County, another one to keep an eye on. I am confident overall, though. I think we are going to do well. I am optimistic about tonight. I will be heading out and doing my election coverage. If you are in the Wichita, Kansas area, you can hear me do some live updates on there. If not, I'll be doing social media updates for anybody listening all over the country, which we love you guys to death and appreciate you very, very much. Stay tuned in throughout the night. We'll do some video feeds, do some public posts and what's going on with elections. Until then, though, get out the vote. If you have not done so yet, go make your voice heard. Let's change the tide. It was so big of a red wave today that even the moon it turned red early this morning. I see that as a sign. Take it however you want to. Until then, let's reconvene tomorrow and do some celebration and some recaps. Until then, this is your own voice of reason. You be your own voice of reason. I'm Andy Hoosier. We'll see you on the radio.